Returning God's holy word to Psalm 51. We're going to have a three-sermon series on this psalm, Lord willing. I won't be here next week for preparatory, and it seems like I haven't preached a preparatory sermon in a while. I think I've only preached one since I've been here. So I've been wanting to preach through this psalm for the Lord's Supper, and even though we won't have a preparatory service tonight, I thought I would go ahead and work through this psalm in the preaching. So that's why we have this as our scripture reading and a sermon on the first four verses of Psalm 51. Let's read the psalm in its entirety, Psalm 51. To the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. According unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation." And uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, Thou wilt not despise. Do good in Thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build Thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then shalt Thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then shall they offer bullocks upon thine altar. The text this evening is verses 1 through 4. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. 
Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. That thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, it is a devastating history, isn't it? We didn't take the time to read 2 Samuel chapter 11, but you read the account of David's sin of adultery and his sin of murder, and it makes you weep. Maybe in the next week or two, you can take the time to read through 2 Samuel 11, 2 Samuel 12, and just take in the pain and the sorrow that takes place in that chapter. It's a very disturbing history. And it's a very disturbing history because on the one hand, it's it's such an evil and shameful, wicked sin. And yet on the other hand, it was a sin that happened so easily. And apart from God's grace, we would do the same. So that it's even a, a fearful history. Apart from God's grace, we cannot stand a moment. And yet, you read that as you see the man after God's own heart doing what he does. Well, as I said, we're going to have a series of three sermons on this passage, a sermon kind of for preparatory, a sermon for the Lord's Supper, and a sermon for applicatory. We want to preach on this passage for a few different reasons. First, everyone should be familiar with Psalm 51. I think this is a psalm that's in the top five Psalms that the child of God ought to be familiar with, very familiar with. Second, we preach on this because it seems very timely. Multiple multiple people have mentioned how over the last few years there are sins that are being exposed, sins of a peculiar nature. And I mean this, sins that have been perpetuated for months, even years, without repentance. There are people who remain in their sins, and God is even very patient and kind so that He gives them, as it were, new opportunities to repent of their sins, so that maybe God gives them a spouse or He gives them children and more responsibilities in life, even to help them, we might say, to turn from their sin, and still they continue in their sins. And all these reports would seem to indicate that We need to become more acquainted with the whole reality and experience of repentance. These reports would seem to indicate that there's sometimes very little in the way of actual self-examination and very little of confessing our sins one to another. I could ask you, just as I ought to ask myself, when was the last time I wept bitterly over my sins? So that I smote my fist on my chest, and with tears I said, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Do my sins make me weep? Do my sins frighten me? And not only that, but am I actually taking my sins to the Lord, confessing them very openly before Him, being honest with God, humbly asking for forgiveness and cleansing? 
And am I zealous to take whatever steps I need to take to keep myself from the temptation? Do I take seriously the words of the apostle when he writes, let these sins be not once named among you? Well, God gives us Psalm 51 not just so that we might express our sorrow over sin, which it is very helpful with, but God gives us the psalm also so that we might see more clearly how in the way of true repentance there is mercy. And in the way of confession of sin, there is, there can be and there is with God forgiveness on the basis of the life and death of Jesus Christ. That's what this whole account shows us too. And that's, that's God's purpose in this account, the hallowing of His name as the God who is merciful and gracious to those who call on Him in truth. We take as our theme this, morning, this evening, David's confession of sin. We look at three things under that theme. First, being convicted of sin. David is convicted of sin. Second, being conscious of God. David is aware of God's presence. And then third, being desirous of merciful cleansing. First, David here in Psalm 51 is convicted of sin. And children, what that means is simply this. David feels guilty. He knows he is guilty of great sin and he is feeling it and he is sorry for this sin. He has a very strong awareness that he is a sinner. He is a great sinner and he is worthy of God's judgment. The heading to the psalm tells us exactly what sin David had in mind. The psalm was written after the prophet Nathan came to him confronting him for his impenitence his impenitent, sinful walk. And we know the story well. David, it starts out, David was up on the roof of his palace when he saw a beautiful woman bathing in the courtyard of her house. And instead of quickly turning his eyes away like he should have done, and instead of fleeing the rooftop, David allowed his eyes to linger. And his sinful nature rose up within him. And David, you see, as the king had the power to obtain what he wanted, With apparent innocency, he he inquired who this woman was. And he found out her name, and he also found out that she was a married woman, married to Uriah the Hittite, one of the loyal, mighty men of David's army. And David himself, of course, was married. But David ignored the holiness of the marriage bond. He indulged his flesh, and he sent messengers to have Bathsheba brought to him. He was preparing himself for sin. And as the book of Proverbs puts it, Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? And so it was with David. He brought this woman into his home and he used her to indulge his sexual lusts and he committed adultery. And then David had to confront the consequences of his sin. Some time passed and the woman sent David a message that she was pregnant with child. And David, not coming to true repentance but wanting to hide his sin, hatched a very wicked plan. Suddenly, his own reputation, his own situation took precedence over the honor and glory of his God. And you know the story. David called Uriah off the battlefield. He pretended to interview him on on how the battle was going. And then he sent Uriah to his house to be with his wife. But Uriah was a godly man. Even though you might say he was a Hittite, Uriah was a man committed to the safety and defense of God's church. And he refused to go home. And so the next day, David got Uriah drunk. But that didn't work either. 
And so David, by the hand of Uriah himself, sent a letter to Joab to place Uriah on the front lines of the battle and then withdraw the the troops from him so that he would perish. And that's exactly what happened. And for nine months, David pretended like he was living an honest Christian life. We may presume that David continued to go to church regularly. He continued to belt out the songs of Zion with everyone else. But it wasn't honest. Because David was refusing to repent. He refused to acknowledge his sins unto the Lord. He gave excuses for the uncleanness he indulged in. He lived in guilty silence. That's the language of Psalm 32. His soul crushed under the sense of God's displeasure. And although no earthly companion was calling him out for his sin, David knew that God had seen everything. And that's how David lived, in guilty silence, his soul crushed under the sense of God's displeasure. And for a true child of God, that is a very grievous way to live. But then God showed David mercy by sending the prophet Nathan to confront David for his sin. And we know the story here too, don't we? Nathan tells David that story. There was a rich man who had many sheep, and there was a poor man who had but one little lamb, a ewe lamb, that grew up as his own daughter in his own house. And when a visitor came for supper to visit the rich man, the rich man, instead of taking one of his own sheep, took the poor man's lamb, slaughtered it, and fed it to his guest. And David, listening to that story, thought that Nathan was telling him about what happened in David's own kingdom, something that happened in Israel. And he was so angered by the story that before Nathan could go on with the story, David cried out, that man shall surely be put to death. And all Nathan had to do was point the finger at David and said, you are the man. And God, in his great mercy, brought David to a conviction of his great sin and brought David to confess his sin fully and freely. He was brought to see and to confess just how wicked and evil and offensive his sin truly was. And here we come to see one of the basic truths of Christianity, namely this. Only in the way of repentance, only in the way of being convicted of sin and confessing sin, Can we enjoy a right relationship with God? That's a fundamental truth not only taught in Scripture, but true to our own experience. No man can experience the joy of the Christian life and fellowship with God except he knows what it is to repent of his sin. That was something Jesus emphasized throughout his ministry. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That summarizes his ministry. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. This is something the apostles emphasize as well. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And this makes sense. Because what need is there for Jesus? What need is there for a Savior? What need is there for good news if we don't know our sins, if we're not convicted of our sins, and see a need for a Savior? There are many who call themselves Christians, but their lives would indicate otherwise because they haven't yet come to the humbleness of heart that David experienced. And they don't have true conviction of their own sin. They don't confess their sin. They refuse to put away their sin, even though they know it's wrong. And why do they refuse to put away their sin? Because they're not convicted of how 
sinful their sin is. And they don't want to be convicted of how sinful their sin is. And this is so often where the issue lies. Am I willing to be convicted of my sin? Am I willing to see just how ugly and wicked my sin is and be honest with it? And the issue is often this. Am I actually willing to give up my sin? And then begin dealing with my sin honestly according to God's word. And do I see then the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and how my life is shaped as a result of knowing the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ? Am I actually willing to give up my sin? Or do I keep covering my sin up? And do I minimize? And I walk in guilty silence. My bones are waxing old all the day long. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. And I still secretly cling to my sins for one reason or another. And I despise the gospel. I continue to love what God hates. And I don't have a value for who Jesus is and what he has done. And my life is just a pretending. I wonder if there are some here walking impenitently in sin. I don't know. David was. And sometimes it needs to be preached like this. You keep up with the same sins. Maybe it's the same ungodly friends that you know you shouldn't be hanging out with. They even despise God's word and the admonitions of godly people. And, and you keep up friendship with them. Maybe it's the same drunken behavior. Maybe it's the same filthy jokes. Maybe it's the same lustful glances. Maybe it's the same arrogant posture. And there's no turning. There's no conviction, no sorrow, no feeling guilty for your sin and hating sin. There's no change, no repentance, but simply a, a stubbornness to keep on indulging these fleshly cravings that you've perhaps indulged in for months. This, this constant suppression of God's Word, suppressing God's Word in unrighteousness. You see, this turning, this repentance, is exactly part of what makes a Christian a Christian. We acknowledge outwardly, sometimes we as Christians don't look much different than others. And then someone comes from the outside, they, they see that we don't look much different than them, and maybe they have bad things to say. But when we are confronted with God, God's word and we're confronted with our sins, by God's grace, we humble ourselves, confess our sins, find our salvation only in Jesus, and forsake our sins. That's what, Jesus, that's what David is doing here in this psalm. Verse 3, I acknowledge my transgressions. I do. I acknowledge them. My sin is ever before me. Oh, I acknowledge my sins. I can't keep silent any longer. Lord, I am sorry. Lord, forgive this sin. It is evil. It is wicked. I take thy side and even how thou dost judge me in my sin. It's very wicked indeed. That's what David is saying. That David has a conviction of his sin is clear from how he talks about his sin. Notice the language that David uses. First, there's the word transgressions. Verse 1, blot out my transgressions. Again in verse 3, for I acknowledge my transgressions. And the word transgressions there has the idea of rebellion. Has the idea of shaking your fist at authority. The idea of 
rising up against authority. David here is confessing that his sin of adultery and murder was an act of defiance against God. God, forget you. I will go my own way. I will choose what I want and live as I please. David says, that's exactly what I did. I was rebellious. When I saw Bathsheba bathing in her house and I made provisions to bring her over to my house, what I was saying was this. Forget you, God. I will do what I want to do, not what you want. That's rebellion. Transgression. Second, there's the word iniquity. Verse 2, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. And the word iniquity there has the idea of a twisting. Something that's perverted. Something that is foul. It's not right. It's not righteousness, but it's iniquity. David sees sin as God sees it. This was perverted because it was twisted. It wasn't righteousness. It was wicked. This is not just a mistake. This is not just a shortcoming. This is something perverted in God's eyes. It's offensive to God. Third, there's the word sin. Verse 3, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. My departure from God's law, that's what sin is. Sin is missing the mark, turning away from, from what God puts before us to do. Turning away from it. And then fourth, notice how David asks for mercy. Verse 1, have mercy upon me. David doesn't say, Lord, make me feel better. Lord, I'm not feeling so good. No, David says, have mercy. David doesn't cover his sin. David doesn't point the finger at anyone else. David doesn't say, well, this is what other people are doing. This is what other people in the church are doing, maybe. This is what other kings do in their kingdoms. They take whoever they want to be their wife. Whoever they want, and no one can say anything to them. I wish I could just act like that kind of a king. No, David doesn't do that. But David sees himself under the spotlight of God's perfect love and he says, this is what my sin is. It is offensive, it is evil, it is rebellion. Again, we need to ask ourselves, is this how we talk about our sin? Or are we casual with sin? So that I maybe even try to normalize my sin, right? I take that hot iron, try to, try to sear my conscience. Maybe even a sermon like last week, to, to go to last week again, dwelling with your wife according to knowledge. Did that sermon have an impact on me? So that I talked to my wife about my sin. Or, or did I continue to make provision for the flesh? Maybe continue to treat my wife like an object? And the preaching left me hardened in my sin rather than softened in my sin. David here is convicted of his sin. And if I may add this, what was especially rebellious, what was especially heinous was this. He was impenitent for so long. He was rebellious not only in the act, right, but for nine months, every day again, he shook his fist. And he said, I'm going to focus on me. My needs, what I want, what makes me comfortable, what's safe for my reputation. And David was convicted of that sin too. This leads us to the second point of the sermon and what especially stands out about this confession, namely the fact that David is conscious of God. 
He's aware of God. You see that especially in verse 4. Against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. That's curious language, isn't it? That's strong language. What does it mean? Well, some people have taken this statement and used it to say this. Look, I don't have to confess my sin to anyone else because I only have to confess my sin to God because I've sinned against God, only against God, so I don't have to confess my sin to others. Well, that's not the idea here at all. When David says this, David is not saying, I didn't sin against Bathsheba. I didn't sin against Uriah. No, David knows that he sinned against Bathsheba and Uriah. He's also sinned against his whole army. Imagine their captain doing this thing to one of their own soldiers. He's also sinned against his own wife. He's also sinned against his whole nation. He's sinned against his own body. If we can use that language, right? He commits sin against himself. With his sin, David gave the whole world an occasion to blaspheme the name of God and mock God's people. And David doesn't write these words in order to say that he, has, that he only has to confess his sin privately to God. No, the whole psalm is a public confession. David writes this psalm for people to sing so that they know his confession and they might also be taught God's ways and also be turned to the Lord. That's verse 13. And he writes this psalm as a public psalm in order to emphasize just how serious he considers his sin to be. Nevertheless, in verse 4, he does write, Against thee, thee only have I sinned. What does that mean? Well, David here is simply emphasizing the heinous nature of his sin. David was saying, when I sinned, what was actually at the heart of my sin? When I sinned, this is what I was doing. I was rejecting God. I was revolting against God. God is the one who commands me not to commit adultery. God is the one who commands me not to kill. I know what God's commands are for me. And when I chose to sin, what I was saying in the depths of my heart was simply this, God, I hate you. That's his sin at the very root of it. Not not his relationship with Bathsheba, not his relationship with Uriah, but his very relationship with God was at the heart of these sins. It's at the heart of all our sin. The fact is, who determines what sin is? God does. If God doesn't exist, then then there is no sin. Sin is the transgression of the law of God. That's the definition of sin. And so when we sin, our fundamental sin is this. We want God to be dead. When David committed adultery and violated the marriage bond, he spat in God's face. When David murdered Uriah on the blades of the Ammonites, David was challenging God and God's righteousness. Righteousness. David was saying, God, your command, thou shalt not kill, is wrong. I shall kill to preserve my reputation, to protest, to protect my lusty nature. I shall kill. And now with his confession, David is saying, Lord, this is exactly what my sin is. This is how I was acting against thee. The only have I sinned. Oh, my sin is so wretched. And look at this. God has been so good to me. He has given me so much. He's brought me from the sheep pasture in the fields of Bethlehem all the way to the palace in Jerusalem. He's given me a glorious office, being king of Israel, so that I'm a type of Jesus Christ. 
a preeminent picture of the Messiah to come. God has given me His covenant promises. He's told me that my seed will, my seed will sit on the throne forever. God has been so good to me. He's saved me. He's made me His child. And yet, what have I done? I have been unthankful. I have been self-absorbed. And I have acted in hatred against God. And that's the issue, isn't it? That's what brings David to confess his sins. He's made aware that he's sinning against God. Now you think about that practically. Practically, how easy it is for us to tolerate sins when we put God out of the picture and we're only looking at each other. We're only sinning against each other. Perhaps it's even easier when we think we're only committing private sins, which is a delusion. But, but that's what we think, right? So, so it's, it's okay because it's a private sin. Maybe I even have permission from others to commit this sin or that sin. And in my mind, well, that makes the sin tolerable because, well, maybe my spouse approves of it. That's exactly how the world operates. We all approve of these sins, so they're good. You can do them. We can hold grudges against fellow church members for years. How is that possible? We can indulge in that pornographic movie. We can walk in sin with our friends. How is that possible? Well, it's possible because we only have each other in view. And and we're equal with each other, and, and, and then we think, really, I'm better than the other person, and we can deceive each other. I don't have to give an account to you. I don't have to answer to you for my sin, and you're a sinner just like me. We can fool the elders. We can get away with this sin. But then we need to say to ourselves, what about God? Forget the neighbor. I'm sinning against God. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. You saw it, Lord. Oh, people here below, they might give me the benefit of the doubt. They might say, this is how we honor you as king. We simply wink at the sin and move on. Men might even understand how I fell into the sin. Men might pardon me. After all, men are sinners just like me. But I don't have to appear before men. I have to appear before God. He's the judge. He sees what I'm doing. He sees what I'm thinking. He is the judge. Other people can't condemn me to eternal destruction in hell. Other people can't forgive my sins either. I have to do with God. He is the one who has the power to condemn to hell. He's also the only one who has the power to forgive sin. David has a consciousness of God. And then he goes on in the rest of the verse, verse 4, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. And what David is saying there is this. There's multiple uh, interpretations, but I think the most straightforward one is, is... the best. What David is saying is this. God would be entirely just in sending me to hell for my sin. What David is saying is this. I have no excuse. There's nothing to be said for me. But for all that I have done, all I can plead is guilty. The world might pardon me. All the world might pardon me. But God is just. And should the whole world pardon me and and let me off, yet God would be entirely just if he were to speak a word of condemnation upon me. 
And yes, I know God is sovereign. He's in control of everything. Even this sin that I committed, the circumstances, he was in control of it all. But still, this is my sin and my sin only. God is not to be blamed for anything here. God is holy in everything he does. Let God be true, but every man a liar. That's how Paul quotes this verse in Romans 3, verses 4 and 5. No excuses, no minimization, no pointing at others. This is my sin only. Is that how it is with you, beloved? When you know your sin, that's the only way you can talk, isn't it? You see, as long as you're still in that position of defending yourself, justifying yourself, arguing with God, you've not yet come to repentance. God is just. God is righteous in all his judgments. Let God be true, but every man a liar. Let me ask it this way. Do you think it would be unfair of God to send you to hell for that little sin you committed this past week? That lustful glance, that unclean speech, that self-righteous attitude? If so, if you think that it would be unfair of God to do that, then you're not where David was here in this psalm. David says, God is righteous in all his ways. I am a sinner, and he would be right for judging me for my sin and sending me to hell. That's a terrible position to be in. That's the experience of the child of God. But you see, all this is important to appreciate. We have to work through this because it's, it's only with that kind of a conviction that we're going to ask for mercy. You see, if I don't have this kind of a conviction, this kind of attitude towards my sin, then I don't need mercy. As long as I have an excuse, as long as I can minimize sin, as long as I can insist on my rights or argue with God or point to something good in me or deflect towards someone else, then I don't need mercy. Then I can still insist on justice. Then I can say, I want my rights. But you see, David has no argument, David has no excuse. And in that position, all David does is ask for mercy. He doesn't ask for justice. He asks for mercy. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, because you are very, 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 very merciful. Blot out my transgressions, because this is how great my sin is. I need one who is very, 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 very merciful, because this is how great my sin is. And then David asks for cleansing. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. David asks for a merciful cleansing. And that's interesting too, isn't it? He sees his sin. He sees how rebellious he's been and perverted his sin is and how revolting his sin is and he wants to be clean. That's true repentance. I turn from it. I hate it. I want to be rid of it. I hate this sin. I hate it. Show mercy, Lord, and cleanse me. You see, for a long time, David wasn't there. For a long time, he was silent. He tried to silence God's word. But finally, when he's brought to see his sin for what it truly is, the only place he can go to is the mercy seat of Jehovah. And 
And it's interesting, David's a wealthy man. He's got all kinds of, of things at his disposal. He's king of the nation. But he knows that nothing that he could bring can atone for his sin. And what's interesting is also this. David commits these sins against God. And yet David at the same time now wants to be with God. That's the mark of repentance also. I sinned against God, but I want to be with God. I don't want to avoid Him. I don't want to, I'm not going to walk away from Him. I can't because I love Him. No, I want to be cleansed of the sin so that I can be with God. Well, beloved congregation, you know what the good news is? The good news is that Jehovah God is the God of loving kindness and who is the God who has an abundance of tender mercies. He is one who delights in mercy. And He is the one who has the power to remove sin from us. And He is ready and willing to do so for all who call upon Him. That's how amazing God is. That's how amazing our God is. We sin against Him. We sin against Him grievously. Sometimes as His children, we sin very grievously against Him. But God delights in mercy. With the Lord, there is mercy. And with Him, there is plenteous redemption so that we might fear Him. We might see how glorious His name is and we might further hallow His name. And David knew that too. You almost say, because we've been there, right? How can David be honest with God? How can David ask God for mercy when he's sinned so grievously? But you see, if you're a Christian, you've been there. And then you see, it's very humbling because this is exactly what mercy is. It's something that is undeserved. We have no claim to it. God showing us pity when we don't deserve pity. And that's the gospel message. 2,000 years ago, God sent His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to pay for the sins of His people. God Himself, in the flesh, bore the judgment that should have fallen on us. He endured the punishment for our perversions, our iniquities, our transgressions and rebellions. And he bore the judgment of God until the payment for our sins was fully made. And this is the glorious message. Repent. Turn away. Have a change of mind. Repent of your sins. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And God will show you mercy for the sake of Jesus Christ alone. There at the cross of Jesus, you see the mercy of God and the justice of God meeting together in perfect harmony. God showing mercy upon us so that we don't bear the judgment and yet maintaining His strict justice by Himself bearing that judgment for us. Listener, here this evening, hear the call of the gospel. Repent. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and God will abundantly pardon and child of God, when your sins are bothering your conscience, when you do commit sin, you have them exposed to you, 
sins you commit even as a child of God and you know God is worthy of perfect obedience and, and then you do something wicked. Don't put up with these sins. Don't tolerate them. We, we could say, let them bother your conscience. Be honest with them. God sees them. God knows them. Don't cover them, but fly to the Lord. Even, even, you might say with your hands still dirty with your sin. Bring your sins to the Lord in prayer. Confess them and forsake them. And plead the covenant mercies of God in Jesus Christ. And God will show mercy. Truly, how can you go on in your sin? Don't you hate your sin? Don't you? Oh yes, there may be consequences. It's a fearful thing to, to approach God, but we have the name of Jesus. David had consequences also. Very painful, very public consequences. But David's end was not destruction. David's end was peace with God. And David now is in glory with all the saints who have gone before us. That's the mercy of God. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, Thou art not like us. Thy ways are not like our ways. Thy thoughts are not like our thoughts. As righteous as Thou art, so Thou art merciful. And it astonishes us. The whole story of our salvation. Lord, we beseech Thee in the name of Jesus Christ. Give us that free spirit, that right spirit, the Holy Spirit more and more. Bring us to where David was. That we might honor Thee in confessing our sins, honor Thee in resting in Christ, and honor Thee by understanding that our lives are lives to be lived in thankfulness for the glorious forgiveness and the salvation thou hast given us in Christ Jesus. Use this preaching to shape our hearts and to shape our lives to the glory and honor of thy holy name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.